They need to really take a look at all the numbers and figure out what is the hourly rate it costs them to have somebody working for them. Yep. Okay. And just like, you know, telegraph note, I've done this literally hundreds and hundreds of times with agency owners across the United States and Canada, in Europe and Australia and New Zealand and in South America. Um, and when I correct for dollars and everything like that, the average rate that comes out is generally between about 140 US dollars to 180 US dollars per hour. Hmm. So newsflash, that's the cost. So margins on top of that. The reason why I feel like this one is going to be so amazing is because one, Alex, who you're about to meet, and if you don't know Alex, from everything that I've heard about him, is the person in this scale conversation that we need to talk to. And so Tim, being that you know Alex personally, why don't you go ahead and give him a quick brief introduction for people that don't know. Well, I, I didn't know Alex until I got the chance to uh, get invited to Google Elevator. And I went about four years ago, and I, I was just knocked out. I was knocked out that there was such a, an infrastructure formula to build an agency the right way. And, and, and Alex you just dug deep into that for a room full of about 30 agency owners. And then I got fortunate enough to go again, and I brought my two directors uh, to Chicago to the elevator program, and they were equally uh, knocked out by it. And it's just the level of detail and the thought behind the metrics of running an agency yeah. that were so powerful to me. And Alex, I think you just represent somebody who is so thoughtful about the uh, how, to, how to build and, and grow and scale the agency that when we were putting this together, I said, okay, I'm gonna try and get Alex. I hope he joins us, I'm glad he did. <laughs> so much that's very kind of you very kind of words so just to get us started in the conversation because there's a few places that we want to go because one i have to talk about the fact that you sold your agency which a lot of people on here you know what we say we joke that he's retired alex is living on a beach somewhere living the life uh which you'll laugh about um, but we also feel like that's an amazing beginning of your story but that's the end and exiting is obviously somebody's goal. Some people can think about that. Um, but I would love to hear a little bit more about how you got there because in order to exit, you have to scale. So tell us a little bit about what you built um, before you exited. Well, look, uh, Marcus, first of all, thank you for having me on. And uh, uh, maybe I'll go a little bit before that, okay? Because um, the, the genesis of the agency really came about as, and we're, because we're living right now through a dislocation period. And um, back in back about 2002, 2003, um, I had been working uh, as a VP of client services for a large IT outsourcing firm. And of course the dot-com bubble uh, exploded. And um, I had been the guy that whenever they said, we need somebody to go do this. We need somebody on a plane tomorrow. We need somebody. I was always, my hand was up. I was always out. And within about uh, five months of, uh, that you know the, the dot-com bubble hitting you know we were we were literally sh shedding people shedding people and then i was out of a job um and it really was a um a, 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 it was really really hard for me and because i i've never been that never thought that would ever happen to me and the outcome of that was that i i, I sank into depression um my uh, my wife and i had a child and we were trying to have a second child i had just bought a house in boston and i was paying a mortgage at i think it was seven and a quarter percent and uh it was really hard it was really bleak and 
I, I resolved at that moment that I was never going to let somebody else have control over my future again. And that was the moment that I said, okay, um, if I, I just had a big birthday and I said, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. And really, and I spoke to my wife about it and she was very supportive. And that was the founding of the consultancy that eventually became Cardinal Pack. And what I, what I realized during that initial kind of go, which is great because it was stage one of, I think, the rocket ship, if you want to call it. What I realized is that, you know, it's um, scale is just really important. And that if you can't get scale, then you can't get opportunities that will enable you to scale even more. So it's one of these virtuous circles. When you get to be known, uh, people uh, follow you. And, and they find out about you and you just, you just becomes more, more aware of you. And I just, and I'd also lost a couple of contracts in particular one contract in which I was uh, one of three finalists for on an RFP. And the reason that I, I, I lost it was, um, and I lost the contract to Accenture actually, um, even though at that time, um, my small company of like 20 people had more people with experience in what they were, the client was looking for than Accenture did, right? But because the, uh, the, the individuals that were running the process just felt that it was safer to go with a larger company. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I kind of had one of those moments. And, and, you know, necessity being the mother of invention, it's where I decided that I could either continue to try and scale this. And the options to do that were either take on equity, right? Uh, sorry, give up equity and take on capital. Um, or, you know, stop paying myself and just plow everything back into the business and put more risk into it. Or there was a third way. And the third way was really, who else do I know in the business that I admire and like and would be willing to partner with and form something bigger? And that's the option that I took. Um, and, you know, we, you know, on life, we kind of look back at decisions we make. And I think that was one of the best decisions that I ever made. Um, to this day, I've never had an argument with any of my partners. Um, so that was... Uh, really really validating uh when we came together you know we sat down we looked each other in the eye and we said okay what are we trying to do here like what's the purpose here what's the end game and you know we all looked at each other and said look um wow do you think like we might be able to make like like 10 million in revenue like can we make 10 million in revenue that'd, that'd be amazing if we could do that and if we could do that maybe we could sell the company i said you know we have to be able to sell the company we have to build something for sale and so we set ourselves um, basically a five-year goal. And we said that we wanted to put the numbers in that would enable us to take an asset to market and, and, and sell it. So right from the get-go, that, that was the operating construct. We're coming together to get scale. We're gonna do all the things um, from an operational excellence perspective that will enable scale and then we're going to be very deliberate about choosing the time that we decide to go into the market. Can you can you walk us through that a little bit, the process there that you guys did? Because when you were about to take on these partners, you had to have a pretty core infrastructure going before you could kind of, you know, yeah. merge that. So what, what did you implement there that scaled you enough where that was a conversation? Um, when we came together, we had three different cultures and we had uh, three different methods of operating. So we had to standardize. And if you kind of go back to the, um, uh, the core principles, so what do consultancies sell? What do agencies sell? And they sell the material between the, the brains, uh, the ears of, um, uh, of their staff. And so the factor of production is people. And what we're selling is knowledge and that knowledge is meted out basically in hours. 
right? So the, the, the core unit that relates to the factor of production is time. And so, uh, you know, there's no getting around this. There's no getting around this. And if you're in a, um, in a volume game where you're, uh, you know, you're charging a little, but you're cycling through a large number of clients or you're charging a lot and maybe a slower number of clients, but you know, whatever it is, it's still about understanding time. That's one thing. The next thing is that time being the core factor of production, right? Being the core kind of the atomic level that you need to measure against. If you think about at the front end, I'm doing all my marketing. I mean, our funnel is, um, you're, you're doing marketing to get leads, right? And referrals and all that stuff. You've got sales that takes over and pushes it down. And then sales, um, you know, uh, once, once we get an opportunity, you wanna enter that or understand what that opportunity is because now you're gonna need to resource against it. And as that opportunity moves down the funnel, you know, the, the degree to which you're gonna need to be able to resource it goes up and the certainty that you're gonna need to resource it against it goes up. And then when you're, now you've sold it, now you need to have the people able to deliver in a timely fashion because you don't wanna sell something and then say you have to wait a couple of weeks to start. And then you need to measure how that's being delivered against what you promised to deliver. And then you need to have all the financials to know was this financially rewarding and what was the total cost to land that client and how much is it costing me for this particular consultant versus another one? How much can I pay them and how profitable is the business ultimately? So to do that, to get that end-to-end -end perspective, um, in, when we were a small company with about, at this time, I think we had between six and seven million in revenue, we recognized that if we wanted to scale, we could not do that on Excel spreadsheets, right? So we invested in an ERP system that links um, all of our CRM, um, uh, links, actually links marketing and CRM. So the minute that we have a sales lead, it's in there as that sales lead moves from marketing qualified lead to sales qualified lead, it's in there. The opportunity is priced. The skill sets that are needed are, are identified. The timeline is identified. And all of that goes into resourcing. So our resourcing team sees, has future visibility into what's coming down the pipe and can start to identify which people need to be assigned to it. As it solidifies and becomes a lead, then we can apply people right away to it. We know what the team is. I understand, you know, uh-oh, we've got a lot more stuff coming in my pipeline. I'm, I'm overhang relative to my resourcing. I need to hire today. So all of that becomes very, very clear when you, you know, you link your resourcing to your marketing. Suddenly I've got visibility into those two things. And then you link it into your financing. So as work gets done and as projects are managed and they're ticked off, it automatically kind of pushes out an invoice. So you don't fall behind on your AR, right? You don't fall apart from behind an invoice thing, which is, you know, that happens, right? People get behind on it. So you know, cash flow really, really matters. So having that full visibility into it was really important. And so in 2013, when we were about six to seven million in revenue, we invested in an ERP system, which at the time was quoted as costing us about, um, about I think it was like 300, $350,000 and ended up costing us over $600,000. So like almost 10% of total revenue um, and uh, a really unpleasant experience. Let me be clear, but absolutely critical. Like we could never have scaled the business without that. It gave us 
you know, just speed, it gave us clarity, it gave us certainty, right? So sometimes I say, you know, clarity over certainty, like we, we don't, we're not certain what it's going to look like, but we're clear we got to do that. And other times you want certainty over clarity. Look, I, I'm, I'm not exactly clear about this, but I'm certain that we'll make money on it. I don't exactly know how, but I've done the math on it. I know the resources we can make money on it. So when you're running the business, you kind of need both. It's insane to listen to this because I just think about all the money that's completely wasted by the bootstrap kind of feel mm -hmm. that people have. Like everybody, like I literally talk to agency owners all the time. They're not like you guys. They're just not. They're sitting here going, well, my <laughs> gut says, and I'm just like, no, screw your gut right. because you have 300 heads out here who are relying on the, the numbers, the data. And so how, you guys, are how important or how much of your day was spent digging in the numbers every day? And, and how much should people that are watching this say, okay, I'm the leader, I'm the founder, I'm the CEO. How much of that or my core team should be looking at data on a daily basis? Okay, well, look, um, so the very first thing which I'll do is I'll say pause. And, and the most important thing that you can do tomorrow right? The most important thing you can do tomorrow is you go back and you calculate your cost per hour to serve. Because um, if you don't know that, then you might, you don't know what you need to charge your clients. And so this is an exercise that I put everybody through in the elevator program. And um, the result of that exercise is universally a, a freak out. Because they realize that they are essentially subsidizing the business by underpaying themselves, owners, um, in order to, you know, because uh, they're not charging enough. Right. And uh, they're not charging enough because A, they don't know that they are, their margins are, are meager, uh, really. And B, because, you know, let's face it, there's a certain level of fear and there's competition out there. And so unless you're armed with the numbers that say, look, I can't go below this. I can't go below this rate uh, because if I do, I'm losing money. Unless you have that knowledge, um, you're, you're kind of flying blind. And then you know how long it takes to complete certain tasks. Then you can start pricing properly because the other side of scaling is pricing. And pricing is... Hmm. Um, I mean, it is, and I, I've talked about this at length, and I talk about this all the time. Um, the, the biggest sabotager in pricing is ourselves, right? Because we, we go into things fearful of the no. And so we underprice and we end up, you know, serving clients at a meager margin when there are absolutely clients that are willing to, to, to purchase at your margin. And I know it sounds super easy. I mean, you're, you're listening to me saying, oh yeah, that's easy. Cause you know, he's already sold and he's done. And you know, he's... and the answer to that is no, it's not easy. I know it's not easy. We lose all the time. You know, it's not easy. There's always somebody that's going to go at a lower price point. I feel like there's like moments that I've had during this entire filming where I'm just sitting here going, Oh shit, <laughs> because it's just, what you're saying is interesting to me because I think a lot of people aren't actually looking at margin and margin that comes from a cost, because think about it, we talked about this and you talk about this constantly about people that sit in a seat and how much you need to know. That's a new KPI for me. Yeah. So like when you heard that the first time, what did you run back and do in the business? 
it was a multitude of things I think that drove everybody crazy. But we put together a roadmap off of it, and it and it was, you know, how to build the infrastructure here to serve clients backwards. Uh, we hate churn, so it's always about results first and working backwards to get those results. And we put together an internal system, and so we hire by numbers now, um, um, among other things. You know, it it, it takes three months to bring somebody into your system, your culture, to get ramped up, to execute a, a campaign at a certain level. And you need to know that before you need that. So ultimately, we're trying to work ahead through the numbers to say, this is the time now to bring somebody out. The ad goes in, the interviews start, the people, the hire, the training, and now you're ready. And you're ready when you need it, not after the fact, which puts your clients at risk. So the things that I learned from this were, were just so many. Um, but, but one other quick thing, Alex, and, and you know, I think you and I have talked about this in the past on the side. One of the things that, that one of the reasons that people are afraid to get margin is because of the commodity mindset. Right. So one of the things that we talk about here is that we all re- use the relative same platforms. And, and, and understanding your value and, and, and working backwards from, a, from a, a very real desire to produce results for clients. Yeah, and, and you know, I think a lot of agencies have that, Tim. You know, I, 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 uh, I, would, I would venture to say that I think that's very common amongst most of the agencies. The, the challenge that they have, I've often found, is that um, they play to their zone of comfort. They talk in their zone of comfort. So their zone of comfort is to talk about, for example, the tool. Their zone of comfort is to talk about uh, the language of digital and CPC and what have you, right? That's their zone of comfort. Um, the, the reality for me is that, um, you know, that's kind of the table stakes of being in the game. What really matters is, hey, listen, um, I, I'm going to invest in understanding where your business is going. I'm going to know about what's going on in the environment, and I'm going to help steer a path through that to make sure that you not only remain competitive, but that you grow. So our conversations are going to be about what your strategic goals are. And my enabling tool is going to be, you know, my the, the advertising side of it, the digital marketing side of it. Your enabling tool is what your value proposition is to your clients. So we bring these two things together. And, and um, you know, it's a harder conversation to have. And not everybody wants to have that. But what I find is that when you do have those types of conversations, you tend to have longer lasting clients and richer relationships. I have a, I have a friend that has an agency and um, he was telling me that he interviews clients and if he doesn't think they're the right fit, he won't even work for them. And he's just, that's the only way he's going to grow is by interviewing clients first. So he puts them through kind of a reverse auction process, which, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty gutsy, you know. Uh, we're no longer just competing against, uh, uh, you know, the other firm down the road or across the block or in, you know, in the other town. We're competing against a room full of computers um, that are always going to be smarter and faster than us and which, you know, uh, is being hyped as being your best friend by, uh, by a well-known organization. And uh, we're also competing against... Um, companies that are based in India and other low cost wage areas where we're, you know, there's the wage arbitrage going on. So uh, it's, uh, it's gotta be something very fundamentally differentiated and that's the client service part of it to me. You know, that's really interesting because you're probably the, the, the minority in that 
because I think a lot of people are thinking about little tweaks that they can make and when they think of scale they think of sales and there's a lot of like little pieces there but I think that what's interesting about all of the things that you're saying is it's highly controllable like this is stuff that people can literally go and you know say I'm gonna pull this lever over here but the one thing I love that you said and I just want to kind of maybe end our time there is (laughs) you had you had a and the foresight to think about partnering. And I want to get into that because that is not people's flinch, right? Most people are thinking about the community as competition and they don't actually think about it as people that they respect, admire, and they would approach about partnering. And I think that one thing that I really want to get from you and from 10 people that are open to that and have clearly had success doing it is just the process there because people, this is a very new thing for a lot of agency owners, is the idea of thinking like, well, if we want to scale quickly, maybe we find people that have XYZ. And that's what I want to know. What's the XYZ when you were sitting out there looking for it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so again, this comes back to what's the organizing construct. So if the organizing construct is we want to build something to sell it, right, eventually, then scale really does matter, right? Um, and there's going to be a shakeout. Let's be really clear. There's going to be a shakeout in this industry and it's going to be a common, right? So um, it's ripe for consolidation. And um, uh, and there'll be winners and losers. And so I think scale is gonna be an important thing to have. Um, so the, the, the way that I uh, went about it was, you know, a little bit like so much in business was <laughs> right place, right time, just, you know, crap luck is what it was. Um, but so I knew some people in the industry and I, I, you know, I skipped over something, but I had had partners prior and I had bought them out. And that was an extraordinarily unpleasant experience because I had done business on a handshake. I was an extremely naive person. And I thought that, you know, you could do business on a handshake and that handshake cost me millions of dollars. Um, And so I was not very, um, you know, willing to give up control again and get into partnership. But um, what, what became very clear to me is that the people that I was partnering with, and I did a lot of due diligence because I knew these people in the industry. But when we start, when we when we got together, we had a, you know, there was a little bit of a like, listen, guys, I've been down this road before. I'm I'm interested, but you know, I just need these are my going in terms kind of thing. And if you're if you're willing to accept them, then we'll do this. But you know, it was um, you needed to have an expertise that was not the same as mine, right? So we 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 needed to have similar, but it needed to be complementary. There could be overlap, but it couldn't be the exact same. Um, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at, right? Um, so I needed people that would compliment me, number one. Number two, I needed people that had contacts that were outside of the area that I had been working in, right? So that had business contacts and that had revenue that was outside of my area, which I felt that I knew very well and was able to build on my own because that was, you know, kind of getting into that new area was going to be hard. So that was, that was one of the things. They needed to also have good numbers, So, you know, I need to see their numbers and they need to have good numbers because I'm not going to go into something which is going to be, uh, um, you know, where I'm basically taking money out of my pocket to give to them. That's, that's, that's not on, that's just not on. So we had to have good numbers and and you know what, the equity distribution wasn't the same, you know, when we finally came together um, because, uh, you know, the, the companies weren't the same. And, and then, you know, going back to the hard learned lesson. Uh, they needed to be ready to to sign papers 
And those papers needed to be drafted by a lawyer who was very familiar with consultancy partnerships, you know, the whole thing about drag along, tag along rights and, and uh, you know, how do we, how do we kick people out of the company and, and all that type of stuff. And, you know, you have to have all those conversations up front, right? So, you know, the, the wrong time to do it is when you're having a fight. The right time to do it was, uh, it was when everybody's smiling and happy. Mm-hmm. So you steer into those conversations early. And, and if people don't want to have them, it tells you everything you need to know. I'll tell you, I, I, I feel like I've, there's a million things that I just learned. Mm-hmm. And I've been asking every speaker to do this as we kind of wrap things up. If somebody had to take everything that you said right now, and just could do one, implement one thing, just like, hey, turn this camera off, go do this right now. It's gonna say, it's gonna set you up for scale. This is what you need to do. What's that one quick, big thing that they can go implement right now? So I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna this too. Okay. So All right. need to do is they need to understand what their cost of service. They need to really take a look at all the numbers and figure out what is the hourly rate it costs them to have somebody working for them. Yep. Okay. And just like, you know, telegraph note, I've done this literally hundreds and hundreds of times with agency owners across the United States and Canada in Europe and Australia and New Zealand and in South America. Um, And when I correct for dollars and everything like that, the average rate that comes out is generally between about 140 US dollars to 180 US dollars per hour. Hmm. So newsflash, that's the cost. So margins on top of that. Wow. Okay. So if you don't know that number, if you don't actually know that number, then you're totally flying blind. Secondly, um, you need to understand what people are doing during the course of the day. And let me be totally clear. I hate doing timesheets, right? <laughs> I hate doing timesheets, right? But I do timesheets because if I hate doing timesheets, my staff hate doing timesheets. So, you know, you, you lead by example. So we do timesheets. Everybody does timesheets. We really try and make it straightforward and simple. We try and lower that bar, but you need to do timesheets. And particularly when you get into larger companies, they will, I've, I've rarely seen an agreement where they don't say that they have the right to audit your timesheets. So if you don't have timesheets, then you're basically saying you don't want to play in the big leagues because that's the way it's played in the big leagues. So, um, you know, you've got to do that. And the right time to do it is not when you're at 100 people because that's, you know, that's, of course, the right time to plant a tree is, is 20 years ago. The next best time is today, right? So, if you don't have it, today's the right time. But you know, starting off slow and then building up with that's the right way to go. Well, I'm happy you cheated because both of those were great. <laughs> cheat anytime you want to, Alex. That's awesome. You weren't lying at all. Know, he told me he's just like you're going to meet this guy and he's going to blow your mind. Um, so anyway, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And obviously, Tim, thank you for introducing me to Alex and everybody else out there. Implement, implement implement. Can't tell you enough. There's too many theologians on the planet. Be a practitioner.